Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome, everybody. So good to see you. Today, I want to talk to you again about hosting the presence of God. As a born-again believer, it is such an important, important thing how we host the Spirit of God who lives on the inside of us. In John 7, excuse me, 16, verse 7, Jesus said, However, I'm telling you the truth. It is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the counselor, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. In other words, you and I are supposed to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, someone wrote a book entitled Good Morning, Holy Spirit. I, I was thinking about it. Like, I think that's one of the first things that should have come out of every one of our mouths every day. Good morning, Holy Spirit. He is on the inside of us, the Bible says. He's there to lead us, to guide us, to be our counselor, our helper, our advocate, our intercessor, our strengthener, our standby. And we're to have close fellowship with him. I believe it was John Maxwell that said a number of years ago, those closest to you determine the level of your success. And he was talking about in life and in leadership. But I believe that because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us and we can have close fellowship with him the, the, to the degree that we have fellowship with him we will succeed in what we do in life he's the one that brings victory in fact the bible says the kingdom of god it's not meat and drink it's righteousness it's peace it's joy in the holy spirit he never gives up. He's always advancing. He's never depressed. He never has bad days. And when we get connected to him, we're going to begin to experience what he has. The Apostle Paul is in prison and he writes to the Philippians and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, how could he have joy? I mean, he is in prison and it was not like a nice country club prison like they've got nowadays. I mean, this, is, this, was, this was rough, but yet he's full of joy and he's encouraging everybody else. You know, rejoice. How can that be? Because the joy that he brings does not de is not determined by the circumstances that we're in. It's not outward going in, it's inward going out. The Holy Spirit brings that joy. Now, one of the things that I've noticed with Christians is, is that in, in some Christians, there is a genuine fear. And, and, and literally, I've had people come in tears talking about this. They believe that they've committed the unpardonable sin, that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Now, in Matthew 12, Jesus said, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age that is to come. And they're thinking, you know, they're just feeling so much fear because of something that they have said or something that they've done. And some of them can't even tell me what they've said or done. They're just in that spot. They're, they're so fearful that they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And in John 6, 
Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So the way that we come to the Lord is the father through the Holy Spirit draws us. Now, if you've committed the unpardonable sin, you would never be drawn. And if you want to get right with God, it's because you're being drawn. If you're hungry for God, it's because you're being drawn. And if you want to get right with God, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. It's just that simple. You're being drawn and it's the spirit of God that is drawing you. In fact, in John 16 and verse 8, Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convince the world of its sin, of its availability of God's goodness, and of deliverance or escape from coming judgment. So the, the Holy Spirit is not the one who's beating people up. He's just saying, look, God's goodness, God's righteousness is available to you. And you can escape the judgment that, that's coming. There is deliverance from that judgment. In uh, Psalms 143, David said, your spirit is good. Uh, some people, they're afraid of the Holy Spirit. I, I remember, this, this is hilarious. Years ago, we had a man, and, a man and his wife were attending church, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And went home and told his wife, look, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And she would not sleep in the same room with him. She said, I am not sleeping with the Holy Spirit. Get out of here, you know. Well, you know, she was talking to me and I said, look, he, the Holy Spirit, he, if, he, if he submits to the Holy Spirit, he's going to be a better spouse than he was before. Not going to make him weird. Now, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us and he's there to reveal God's will, to reveal redemption, what God has done for us in Christ. It says in Proverbs 25, verse 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Now, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus has made every one of us to be a king and a priest to God the Father. Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, God hides these things, but he's not hiding them from you. He's hiding them for you. If you're a parent or a grandparent, have you ever played hide and seek from your kids or your grandkids? How many of you played hide and seek? Right. Now, when you play hide and seek, you do not hide so they can't find you. Right? You hide for them specifically so they will find you. And if they don't find you, you whistle like, I'm over here. <laughs> so God is not hiding things from you. He's hiding them for you. But the way that they're revealed to us is through the Holy Spirit. He is the key that unlocks the treasures, the Bible says, of wisdom and knowledge. Now, someone might say, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. I got filled with the Holy Spirit 20 years ago. Well, that's very good. Right? But Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit or be being filled. Where another translation says, keep on being filled. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is not something that happens one time and we're good. It's something that needs to happen again and again and again. And I, I personally believe that we should ask God to fill us with the Spirit every single day. You say, why? Because you leak. 
That's why you leak. So we need to keep on asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, it's the day the church is born. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter gets up to preach. This is 50 days since Jesus was crucified and the resurrection. It's the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and Peter gets up and he preaches. And this is what he says. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, and it will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, somebody said, well, it says that's going to happen in the last days. When does that? That actually began on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, this is that, that Joel prophesied about. And if those were the last days, we're living in the last of the last days. And this is the time when God is pouring out of his spirit on all flesh. Now, what we have particularly, and, and it is really true, this is, this is more in America than any place in the world, but we have the cessationists. And they tell us that God no longer does miracles, that there's no longer manifestations of the spirit, that God's not healing anymore. And some of them will say, when the last apostle died, that was the end. Others will say, when we received the, the, the full canon of scripture early in the fourth century, that was the end of miracles. They're not needed anymore. And may I just say that worldwide, that is such a small minority of Christians, but the majority of them are in America. Let me just say, if you will study church history, you will find that that never happened. It never happened that there, there, there was a slowing down, particularly during the dark ages when people did not have the Bible. But uh, take early fifth century. You have St. Augustine, who's Bishop of Hippo. He writes about all of the miracles and healings that are taking place uh, in the churches that he oversees. Martin Luther, one of the, 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 the reformers in the Reformation, writes about he, seeing healings taking place and particularly about one of his friends who was on a deathbed who he, he prayed for and God miraculously heals him. Now, what actually happened was this with the reformers is they thought, well, if there's miracles, that means there has to be perfect doctrine. And they disagreed with certain things in the Catholic Church. And so they, what they said was, well, those things are wrong and there are no more miracles and anything that they say is a miracle is not true. But I want you to listen to the book of Jude. First of all, you look at church history and there's always been, God has all the time since the day of Pentecost been moving. But Jude writes and says, well, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, Christianity, was given how many times? It was given once. And who's it for? It's for all. It's for all. In Acts 2, Peter said it like this, it's for you, your children, and as many as are afar off. 
as many as are afar off. So it's not that these things have passed away. But notice, the Spirit of God is moving on Jude, and he said, you're going to have to contend earnestly for that faith that was once and for all delivered. There's going to be a, a, a move away from the Spirit of God moving in our lives and in our churches. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I think it's so interesting that where the Bible says do not be ignorant, we are the most ignorant. We are the most ignorant. So I want to take a few minutes today and I want to talk to you a little bit about spiritual gifts. Right here, chapter 12, verse 4 says there's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. So not everybody has the same gift, but it is the same spirit. And not everybody has the same ministry, but it is the same Lord. And there's diversities of activities, or we can say it this way, as other translations do, that the operations of the gifts are different. In other words, it won't work the same way in every single person. It can be the same gift, but it can work, flow differently inside of different people. But it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So when, when, there is, when there's the, the gifts of the Spirit are manifest, it's not about the person who the gift flows through. It's for everybody's benefit. It's not about the person. It's about helping and blessing and lifting others. And notice it says to each one. In other words, in every single believer, one of these gifts lies in there dormant. Or it could be in use, but very often it's dormant because we don't know. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and to another faith, or some of your translations will say special faith, or the gift of faith, the same Spirit. Now, every believer has faith, but there is a gift of faith or special faith. When, when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den and he was not eaten by the lions, that's the gift of special faith. One of the main manifestations of that gift is supernatural protection. Now, notice it talks about the word of wisdom by the, through the Spirit and the word of knowledge. Now, God doesn't give us all of his wisdom. He just gives us a little bit. And by the way, the gift of the word of wisdom is not somebody who's smart, not somebody who's educated. The word of wisdom is when God shows you something that is going to take place. And the word of knowledge, God gives you a little insight into something that is taking place or has already taken place. And we'll look at those in just a moment. And to another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts, plural, of healings, plural, by the same spirit. Gifts, plural, healings, plural, by the same Spirit. Now, the reason that both are plural is there's just so many. Let me give you an example found in Acts chapter 8. 
Now, Philip, who was one of the original deacons, he goes down to Samaria. He preaches Christ to them. And it says, In the multitude with one accord, he did the thing spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now, notice it doesn't mention anything about any blind people. doesn't mention anything about any lepers. There were just two types of people who basically received healing. Those that were paralyzed and those that were lame. Now, when someone operates in a gift of healing, one of the gifts of healings, it is usually in a very specific area. There'll be certain diseases, sicknesses, problems that they will just have unusual success with. That's what happened here. The reason it doesn't mention the others is because that's not what was happening. You, you read about Jesus' ministry and it says he healed all sicknesses and all afflictions. But the Bible says he had the spirit and the anointing without measure. But every person today has the spirit with measure. So there'll be one of the gifts of healing. But there's many. Exactly how many? Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. It's been suggested there's 39 different gifts because Jesus had 39 stripes and by his stripes you're healed. I don't know that that's true. But I do know that when the gifts of healings are in operation, often the way that it works is there'll be success, tremendous success in a specific area. To another, the working of miracles. Now, the working of miracles gets the same result often as the gift of faith. For example, Samson's in the lion's den, excuse me, Daniel's in the lion's den, gift of faith, protection. If we had put Samson in the lion's den in the morning, there'd have been cheap lion burgers <laughs> because he'd have killed them all. But with, with Samson, it was the working of miracles. With the, with the working of miracles, the person is active. With the gift of faith, you just sit back and receive. To another prophecy. Uh, prophecy is not what most people think it is. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that he who prophesies speaks unto men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. It has nothing to do with the future. That's the word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom flows... It can flow through any person who's a believer, but it will flow more and more and more through someone who is a prophet. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 21, Paul and those that are with him, they come and they stay in the house of Philip. By the way, this is the guy who was a deacon who went to Samaria and he says, Philip the evangelist. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hand and feet and says, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews do in Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the man hands of the Gentiles. Now, there were four girls in Philip's house who prophesied exhortation, exhortation and comfort. But when God wanted to speak about the future, a prophet came. That's the gift of the word of wisdom, showing what is going to happen. 
Another great example of some of these gifts, we could look at uh, Samuel, for example. God says to Samuel, go to Bethlehem, go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be king in Saul's place. And he gets there and the oldest son comes and he says, surely this is him. And God says, no, that's not him. The next one comes and he says, this is the one. And God says, no, that's not him. Seven sons pass before him and it's none of them. And he says to Jesse, hey, don't you have one more son? Is there anybody else? And he says, yeah, the runt, the runt, the, he's out there watching the sheep. And he says, go get him because nobody's going to move until he gets here. Now, God gave him a word, just a word. He didn't tell him all that was going to happen. He just showed him a little bit. He said one of the sons. He didn't tell him the name of the son. He didn't tell him which one of them it was. He just said, go, there's going to be one of the sons. It's just a word. God doesn't show us everything. He just shows a little something. Now, Hebrews 2 in verse 4 says this, God also bearing witness both with signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So they don't operate when you want them to. They don't operate when I want them to. They operate when God wants them to. They operate according to his will. Now, in 2 Kings, there's a story of a man named Naaman. He's the general of the Assyrians, the, actually the enemy of the Israelites. And he has leprosy. And a little girl is in his house, a servant girl, and she says, man, if you'd go to Israel, the prophet there would heal you. Well, he ends up at the house of Elisha. Now, Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. Now, Gehazi has been his servant for about 20 years. And uh, when the, 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 the general comes, he's looking to get healed. And the prophet says, just go dip seven times in the river Jordan and you'll be healed. Well, finally, he goes. He dips seven times. And when he comes up, he's completely healed. And his skin is like a baby's skin. And he goes back to the prophet. And he says, oh, thank you. And now he's come with literally, he has talents. I mean, this is like, like 25 pounds of gold many times over and silver and garments. And he says, here, here, all this is for you. And the prophet says, no, I won't take anything. And he said, well, then just let me have two mule loads of dirt, which sounds like a rather strange request, does it not? But in the Old Testament, you'll find that Every group of people believed that their God was God of just a certain area. The God of Israel was God in Israel, but he wasn't God in Assyria. And so he wanted the dirt from Israel so he could go back and worship God on God's dirt. Literally, that's, what, that's what's going on. The prophet says, go. And he takes off. He's going back home. He's got all of the money that he came with, plus two mules of dirt. And he's on his way. But Gehazi says, man... Man, the, the Elisha spared that man. I'm going to go after him, and I'm going to go get some of that stuff. So he chases after him, and, and, and he catches up to him, and he says, you know, the prophet doesn't want anything for himself, but, but two young men that are prophets have just come, and, and he said it, it would be all right to get a, a talent for each of those, which is a large quantity of money and some clothes. And, and the Naaman says, here, have twice as much. And he sends his servants, and he hauls it back to town and, and Gehazi hides it. And then he goes and he stands before the prophet. And the prophet says to him, uh, where were you? And he answered and he said, uh, your servant didn't go anywhere. 
And then the prophet said, didn't my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? That's what he said. He says, I just saw what you did. I saw it. He said, my heart went with you. I saw what happened. See, in fact, in the Old Testament, the, many times a prophet is called a seer because he would see and know things supernaturally. So the prophet's sitting in his house and it's like a television screen goes on and he sees what happens. He sees Gehazi go. He sees the whole thing happen. And, and not only did he see, but he even discerned what he planned to do. He says, is it time to receive money? Receive clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. He said, y y here's what you're planning to do with it. Here's what I wanted you to understand. Gehazi's lived with the prophet for 20 years. He knows the prophet doesn't know every time somebody's lying and cheating and stealing. He believes he can get away with it. That's what he believes. But as the spirit wills, God supernaturally showed him what was going to happen. Uh, Elisha has another occasion um, three kings come to him and they need a word. They need a word from God. And this is what he says. Now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician, mu musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So they need some, they need a word from God. And he says, I don't have anything. But bring me a, a musician. And that man begins to play. And then the anointing, the hand of the Lord, the Bible says, came on him. And when the hand of the Lord came on him, he said, this is what you need to do. And they followed his instructions. And not only were they, they, they didn't uh, perish from thirst, but God gave them total victory when they followed those instructions. Now, a parked car breaks no driving laws. But how many of you know cars were not made to be parked? See, there's no, they're, they're missing their purpose. That goes nowhere. It accomplishes nothing. You know, it makes no mistakes, but it's paralyzed. Now, the same thing is true when it comes to believers. If all we do is park, yeah, you're right, we make no mistakes, but we don't accomplish our purpose. Romans 5, verse 5 says, because the love of God has been poured, has been poured abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The Spirit of God is on the inside of us and God's love, it says, has been poured abroad in our heart. You see, it's impossible to be driven by love and remain stationary. When that love is on the inside of you and you let that love move you, you're eventually, you're gonna do something. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. It says about Jesus again and again. It says he was moved with compassion and healed the sick. That love moved him to do something. And the same thing should be true about us. Because that love of God is on the inside of us, there's times when, when, when as we yield to the Holy Spirit, that compassion is going to come on us and we need to begin to do something. God challenges us to keep on moving. To, to, to flow with the Spirit of God. Noah was challenged when God told him to build an ark. Abraham was challenged when God told him to leave his country and go someplace that he didn't even know where he was going. Jonah was challenged when God told him to go and preach to the enemy of the Israelites in Nineveh. Mary was challenged when God told her that she, as a virgin, would give birth to a son who would be the, the Savior of the world. 
Ananias was challenged when Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, go and pray for Saul, the persecutor of the church. Peter was challenged when God sent him to Cornelius' house to share the gospel with the Gentiles, something that was against his cultural upbringing. But when God challenges us, it's because he's got a great victory for us. And when we obey, there's always blessing. There's always blessing that comes with obedience. Let me close with this, Genesis 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him. Now, God had told Abraham 20 plus years before, leave your relatives, but he brought Lot along. And it was not a blessing. But when Abraham and Lot separated, the Lord said to Abraham. And this is literally the second greatest blessing that Abraham ever receives. He says, lift up your eyes now from the place where you are. Look northward, southward, eastward, westward for all the land that you see. I will give to you and your descendants forever. He gets the promise. He gets the blessing when he falls into line with obedience. Obedience always brings a blessing. Disobedience always opens the door for the, un, for the enemy to come in and to attack. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.